So today is week one of four, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter two. Follow along with me. Sorry, in verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and they were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jump to verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm going to start off with a question, participatory kind of stuff, and so I want you to be thinking. Some of you have been involved in the life of a church, the church, um, probably since your earliest, earliest days. And some of you, this is a new experience, you're trying to figure it out, what is, what is the church all about, Who is, what is Christianity about, what, what is this thing called church, going to church, being a part of a church, coming up membership of a church. And so I want you to think, what is it that shapes your view of the church? What are the elements by which you go about defining the church? So if you had to define the church, how do you define it? What is the church? Go. Offer up suggestions. What is the church? People. A body of believers. God's hands and feet. Love. Comfort. Community. Anything else? People who are in love with God. Good. Good. What else? What's that? There's teaching component to it. Good. Corporate worship. Good. Strengthening and encouraging one another. 
proclaiming the word of God, accountability. I heard something else. The bride of Christ, good. Evangelism. Observing, rightly observing the sacraments. Thank you, John Calvin. <laughs> Proclaiming the word and observing correctly. Yeah, good, good. Anything else? Ah, vessel for the Holy Spirit, good. We just finished that series, so good that you remembered the Holy Spirit's involved in this. <sighs> Anything else? If you would have asked me when I was in my younger years, uh, what defines the church? One of the things that I would have said, obviously, was a building. Because every Sunday morning, we, you know, my mom scurried us off to church. We had to dress in our Sunday best, you know. So that meant on Saturday, your shoes had to actually be shined. You know, you got out, the, your fingers were black because you put the stuff on it, and you had to they were high sheen and you had to have your shirts all pressed and everything had to look absolutely perfect and beautiful and there was this whole argument all the way to church you know get, getting people out the door and and then because we're going to church and the first thing that you saw when going to church was a building and so and in this building there were certain ways that we behaved and that we worked and it was not so much based on scripture it was based on no running in church um, I don't know how many times my ears were grabbed or I got the look. Uh, the, we talked so quietly. In the fellowship hall where you're supposed to fellowship, shh, there's no running. We keep our voice down. We just talk quietly with coffee and maybe a donut. You know, so, or a ham bun because we were Dutch. Uh, but, you know, there was, there was just this culture that we go to church and it, everything in my mind was, it's a building. And then we, we, we did certain things while we were there. We, we sang songs. There was the organ, and it was the same person who played the organ every time. And there were, uh, just as the service was about, you looked up at the clock in the upper left-hand corner. You knew that the, at this time the elders and deacons would proceed from the consistory room. And the elders, at, when I was really young, all sat in the front row. And then the deacons would come on back and they'd sit a little bit farther back. And then we'd start all this call to worship stuff. They did these things, all these different parts of the worship. And then the deacons would get up and pass the plates. And there's things and functions. And then after the sermon, there was this forever long time. Congregational prayer. And I was just praying, God, bring it to an end. Because it was forever and ever. And he just moaned on and on and on. There was not much personality, and I didn't get what we were doing. And I, I was looking forward to the doxology. And because that, that meant it's about time for the fellowship hall where we can't run. And, and then we get to go home. The special things about the church was I could not wait. I'd go up to my dad and ask for the keys so we could start our great big ugly van, get it warmed up, and get ready to go. And then it all starts all over again. And so I grew up thinking the church was a building and a, just a thing that we did. It was a function that we performed on a weekly basis. And for us, I want us to do something radically different. In, if you come from a Reformed tradition or even a Protestant tradition, you know 
that October 31st has a special place in our heart. Oh, <laughs> what, what is today? Reformation Day. Reformation Sunday. And for those of you who are going, what is he talking about? This on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, a very young Roman Catholic monk, uh, took 95 theses, 95 statements, and took them to a public place where he nailed, and it happened that all announcements, all things for the village that was going on, would be nailed to the church door. And so he nailed, this young monk nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg castle, the the church door, saying, these are the problems, these are the things that I'm concerned about for the Roman Catholic Church. And him being a Roman Catholic monk, he, he, he started something not so good. He started a whole bee's nest of problems. His first thing, his first thesis was, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when He said repent, will that the whole life of believers should be repentance. He was speaking out about indulgences and just saying, listen, it is not a thing that is purchased. It's not just a a function of the church, but it is to be the whole life of believers. And from that, he, he overturned the whole system. His hope was reforming the church, not to be excommunicated and to be pushed out of the church, but to reform the church, to say, hey, let's think rightly about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a believer within the church, the bridegroom of Christ. Let's, let's think what this means again. Let's investigate Scripture. Because his heart was like, oh, there is something wrong about how we are doing church. Part of me wonders, even for our young church, you know, the cement has not yet set. Thanks be to God. But there are some things that are setting. And I wonder if it is time for us to do a little bit of rethinking and re-reminding of what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the church. Is it time that we create our own 95 theses and just say, okay, Listen, when it comes to being a body body of believers, this is what it means. May the Reformation still continue. Because some of the things that we mentioned all as, as a corporate body were good. Absolutely good things. And those are qualities and, and pieces. But if you look, if you would ask the Apostle Paul about what is it that primarily forms a church that is the church is to be centered around, he says this in chapter 2, that the thing that you are to be centered around is the gospel. You are to be a gospel-centered church. From that flows out all these things. We are to be focused on the good news of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of that, living in it, dwelling in it, letting it just transform us. Because most people, when they define the church, they primarily define it by what the church does. 
its activity, not who it is, who she is. Unfortunately, this kind of leads to the understanding that the church is defined by her work, the church's work, not God's work. And this leads to the view that man builds the church, not Jesus Christ. When we focus on what the church does instead of what has been done for us, it's, it, it leads right back to me. It leads back to you and what you can do and what we can do together. But we have got to start out with what God has done and is doing in our midst. With this understanding, with the understanding that uh, it focuses on humanity, on man. Anybody who simply implements forms and activities of the church can do what they call church at any time. If it's just activities, well, that's just church. This kind of church is based on the works of man. And that is the very thing that even Martin Luther said, no. We are, it's not about works. It is about what has been done. That's why he started off just saying, listen, the first thing is that the Lord Jesus, when he said, repent, your whole life needs to be about repentance. Repenting because of what he has done for you. We have got to remember that we, we are who we are because of what Jesus has done and is doing. Let me read that again. We are who we are because of what Jesus has done and is doing. Our being comes out of His doing, and our doing proceeds from our being in Christ. So let me read that all again, because that's a mouthful, that's a lot to think through. We are who we are, because of what Jesus has done. We are who we are because of what Jesus has done and is doing. And our being comes out of His doing. And our doing proceeds from our being in Christ. So everything that we do proceeds from the Gospel. Everything that we think about, how we change, how we, how we interact, everything comes from the gospel and how the gospel has been given to us as a free gift of grace everything proceeds from that it comes from our identity in christ and our identity in christ defines everything else it defines how we love it defines how we worship it defines how we do evangelism it defines how we how we manage our finances it defines whether or not we build a building or whether we stay in a church it defines all those kinds of things But our primary focus has got to be the gospel first. Because that is where we find our identity. If your identity is found anywhere else, if your primary identity is found anywhere else, you are missing it. If your identity is found in your children, primarily found in your children, you're missing it. If you're... Your identity is primarily found in your finances or your job or whatever gives you your finances. You're missing it. If you are, your identity is primarily found in your masculinity, or I'm going to screw up this next word because I always do, femininity, 
you're missing it. You're, our identity as, as Christians and as a corporate body has got to be primarily found on the gospel. Primarily found in the gospel. We need to define the church in light of who God is and what He's done. Two, who He has made the church to be. And three, what He has saved and created us to do. I want you to think about it in family terms. Do we define a family based, on, based only on what they do? Family procreates, right? Sometimes. Some are getting to it. You know, do we, do we work on that? Are we a family because we sleep in the same house? We eat together, we do dishes, we share a budget? Is it defined by just activity? Or is it by who they are? We are a family because we have the same parents, the same last name, we belong to one another. Are we defined by being? Or is it because of how we came into being? We are a family because our parents gave birth to us or adopted us. Are we defined by origin? A healthy family should be defined in three ways. Our parents birthed us or adopted us, so we belong to them. We're related and we share identity, so we belong to each other. Think about that for a little bit. We belong to each other. And we do what families do together. We live together, defined by love. The same is true with the church. We are the church because God the Father has made us children through the life and work of Jesus, giving us new birth by His Spirit. You, you see this here in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. By grace you have been saved and you've been raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places. And he talks about this, this idea that we have been made, our, our identity is being born into this family, being adopted. It, a theology of adoption is something that the church doesn't really get. But that's what we have been. We have been adopted into the family of God. We've been made children of God. And that is a huge thing. There's kind of this beautiful resurgence that's happening in the American church today where people are saying, as we are grasping a hold of this idea of adoption, us being adopted by God, should not be the church be a primary vehicle for adoption? As we've been adopted, should not one of the things we wrestle with is adoption? Struggling with that? As we've been, 
So we should. We also, the true, the true church has got to consider that we have our identity as children, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know that brothers and sisters fight. I was a kid. I understand. But I'll tell you, there's a deep love. And the same should be true if our primary identity is being adopted and being given grace. Adoption. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And we live out our lives of love and good deeds because we are children who are deeply loved. We aren't defined by what we do, but we're defined by by what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So here's kind of a a definition I want us to work with. And this is a a definition that was uh, given by uh, a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, who used to be a pastor out in Moraine Valley, and then he moved out to uh, western suburbs, and now he's way out in uh, Washington. The church is the gospel people who believe the gospel, who are a formed community around the gospel, and who demonstrate the gospel in everyday ways of life so that the world might know that the Father sent the Son. First, the church is the gospel people who believe the gospel. Do you believe the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came willingly? Came in the flesh. Became man to identify with us. To live amongst us. Do you believe that he came and lived the absolute perfect life? Absolutely perfect. There was no sin in him whatsoever. And that when he came, he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He was our second Adam. The first one screwed up the whole system, but the second Adam came and he lived it absolutely perfectly. There was no sin. And then what he ended his life, not with some blockbuster movie, not with the the best life yet. It's no, no book, no nothing like that. What did he do? He died. Why did he die? And why is that so crucial to the good news? Because he absorbed, he took the penalty of our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice. So that what? We could live. Live the way that God originally intended us to live. And that is good news. And that is tremendously good news for the church. If you understand that, because because of that good news, we can now be adopted into the family of God. Our, our, Our position totally changes. When you accept the good news of Jesus Christ, and you, oh, and it breaks your heart to think that you were once those that he described here. You were uh, once following. You were dead in your sins. You were dead. There was no life about you. 
you were completely dead. Yeah, your heart was beating, but spiritually, you were dead. And you, you were following the ways of the world, the passions of your flesh, but now you've been made alive in Christ and you're a new creation, and that should just get you juiced, get you excited, get you pumped about, oh my gosh, Jesus Christ did this for me. Oh, what does that mean? I am now a child of God. And as a child of God, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who I can live life together, who call me into accountability, who, who love me deeply in spite of my junk and my past and my, my future failings. They love me deeply. They call me on the carpet. They encourage me. They teach me. They tell me the gospel. They do all these things. Oh, I love being in this family. And then it moves you into some kind of other activity saying, I love this family. I love my Savior. My identity is beautiful and it's perfect. Oh, I've got to do something. My activities are defined by the work of Christ and my family. And I need to now share that gospel with others. I have got to do that. The church of God is God's people saved by His power for His purposes. And so we've got to wrestle with, if we are going to be centered around the gospel, what does that mean? What does it mean to be centered practically, to be centered around the gospel? i got three more weeks to flesh it out. But for today, I want you to look quickly. If you got uh, your Bible out yet, flip over to um, 1 Peter. I'm going to throw it up here for you. But I want you to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And that's uh, page... Oh, 10, 10.15, maybe? Okay. And in this, I want us to really wrestle with our gospel identity. According to 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. As a gospel-centered people, our identity is a church, the church is a family of missionary servants. We are missionary servants. Let me flesh this out. The church is a chosen race. We are the called out ones. Ecclesia. We, we, we're, we're called out of the world. And so how, how does this work out? If the church is a chosen race and we're, we're a chosen family that is called out of the world, God has always desired a people. A people, an earthly family, who would live in such a way that the world would know what He is like. Have you, my family is far from perfect. My family of origin, especially, is far from perfect. 
And maybe some of you are going, oh, I know what you're talking about. And, and I remember sometimes looking around going, oh, I'd like to be a part of their family. They do all the cool vacations. They have all this. And they have, I love their family. I see how maybe their parents interact or how their family works. And I know probably behind the scenes it was just as messed up as mine. But in some way, God says, listen, I desire you to be a certain people that does not function like the rest of the world. I, I'm calling you out and that you've been formed, you've been, uh, you're part of my family now, and you're different. And I want you to function and work in a way where you are constantly being transformed by the gospel in your daily life. As you, you enter into a tough relationship, I want you to be different. I want you to be, say, man, I remember that I was one time dead in my sins and I was an object of God's wrath because He's a holy God and can have me nowhere in His sight. He has every right to be uh, against me. But you know what? The beauty of the gospel is that He adopted me and He loved me. So you know what? In this difficult situation, I am remembering the gospel and I am going to love you in spite of the difficulties. Because that's what God did. We're called to live in a way where the world looks at the body of Christ, looks at Missio Dei Church and says, wow, how you live together, how you work together, says something about God. You're holy. Not holier than thou. You're holy. You show mercy. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger. You do show justice. There's righteousness about you. You love. And when you love, you love deeply. And that says something about God. So that's the first thing. The second is this. The church is a royal priesthood. We are the sent ones. We are His missionaries. You are missionaries. It's not just the Camiola family that we send off to Africa. You are missionaries. Each and every one of you. I don't care how old you are, how young you are in your your walk with Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. And this means for us joyfully submitting to God, first and foremost, submitting to leadership and to each other as we serve whomever God brings into our lives. Whomever God sends into our lives. We do whatever He leads us to do, whenever He tells us, and wherever He wants us to do it. The three W's. As missionaries, we joyfully submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of our life. He's the master of us. He's the King. that we. He is our Father that has adopted us. And He has just given us such rich love and mercy that when He says go, we say go. And where to? And how long? 
To whom? Them? Yes. Multitudes. We do whatever He leads us to, whenever and wherever. We are His missionaries. Some of you missionaries are being paid by a lawn mowing company. Some of you are getting, as missionaries, getting paid by the public schools. Some of you are getting paid to be IT workers, or maybe you're drawing a pension, or maybe you're, whatever you're doing, you are getting paid as missionaries to do His work. Whenever, wherever, whatever. You are doing His work. It is not left to me. I just want to be clear to that. I happen to be getting paid from this body. But you also have a responsibility as his, his royal priesthood to be missionaries wherever you are. And like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm praying that God, out of this body, sends people out. Far, far away and locally. As far as the Jacobsons going to Iowa, the Camiolas going to Joss, Nigeria, I pray that someday Missy O'Day Church is ready and willing and able to plant another church in maybe our local community in Kankakee and Downers Grove. Who knows where it is? But that we say, God, whatever you call us to do, we will do that because there are people who need to hear the gospel. We are your missionaries. All of us are your missionaries. And we willingly submit to your leadership. And here's the last thing. The church is a holy nation. We are his sanctified servants. God always desired a people in earthly family. Oh, that's wrong. Shoot. We... Copy and paste. His, his holy family, his holy family is a group of people who loves one another and who is willing to be held accountable, to be discipled, to be taught, to grow in righteousness. And that as a holy family, we seek out teaching and discipleship. Even in the midst of our busy schedules. In spite of our busy schedules. We say, I so, I so thank you to the Lord for your holiness. I so want to know. And I will do whatever it takes. That means I've got to get up at the butt crack of dawn or stay up late. I desire to be his holy servants who are growing in righteousness and serving as I have first been served. There are tons of practical ways this can be worked out for us as a family. Tons. 
for us to figure out, you know, what does it mean for us to be a, a family of missionary servants? Focus first and foremost around the gospel. One of the ways is I, I really want us to prayerfully consider working hard at our stewardship. And when you hear stewardship, the first thing that you're going is, he's going to pass the plate in a little bit. No, I, I want you to steward your whole life. Your whole life as God has given you life. I want us to work hard at that. I want you, uh, college students, starting with you, steward your whole life. Your life is not just college. Get out of that. whole life, your time, your talents, your treasures. Work hard at, at saying, God, how do you want me to use my time for the sake of the gospel? As your, your holy people, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Even while I'm in college, even when I'm in my workplace, where, what, what is it that you're calling me to do? Where is it that you want me to go today? If all of life is a preparation and you wait until you're prepared, you're never going to go. You're never going to learn. Go now. Using your time, your God-given talents and passion. He is, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, each of you have been given gifts and talents and passion for the purpose of not hoarding, but the purpose of giving sharing, building up the family, make her, make her a pure, spotless bride that shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Use your talents. I, I am pumped about December 19. Tara is using her gifts and her talents, her passion, her love for kids to do what? Prepare a kids program the Sunday before Christmas. Teaching the kids great songs and having them come up and share the, this gospel story. That's one example. Another example, Dave and Emily Schistler. Their heart for kids who are coming out of the system, a broken family system, and a broken DCFS system, and opening their homes and saying, come live with us. It is probably inconvenient and not perfect and we don't know what kind of kids we're going to get. But you know what? We love them and we need to show the gospel. We are willing to do that. We've got a passion for that. Some of you have a passion for teaching, a passion for IT, internet technology stuff, which I don't understand. Use it for the glory of God. If it's musical, sing. If it's instrumental, play. If you've got the gift of helps, of pushing a broom, push a broom. And the last one, treasure. Stewarding your treasures. Steward your treasures. Lay up your treasures in heaven. How do we lay up, store up our treasures in heaven? By investing today. 
invest financially into the lives of others. And yes, that probably means corporately as the basket is being paid and online through the city, doing it in all kinds of different ways that way, sure. Give, because we do something corporately together. We have a mission. You know what? Next year, we're, we're increasing the budget. We're calling us to a healthy budget of increasing it 13, almost 14%, which is absolutely insane in this time, right? Who would do that? Increase a budget? Stay the same. Maintain. There are lost people. 4.5 billion people are apart from Christ today. 4.5. If the world would end today, 4.5 people would be in eternity in hell, separated from God. But also invest your finances into people. Take out your lost co-workers to lunch. Have them over in your house and treat them extravagantly, showing them something of God. Entertain like you've never entertained before. Opening up the doors for the gospel and just saying, isn't, why do you do this? Oh, this is so nice. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you why. It's not just because we want to eat good and get fat. Even though that might be a part of it. It's because of God. And we want to show you something of Him. That's why we do this. Advent conspiracy starts today. Changing our mind about what Christmas is about. It's not about Christmas gifts. Okay? Changing our mind and just saying, man, we we spend how many billions of dollars as a nation on gifts that bad sweater from your aunt dolores that you just want to return a pot holder uh, do i need another one of those how about investing storing up your treasure investing into roseland christian ministries investing in camp manitoba investing in into John and Missy Camiola. And we are praying that we go above and beyond the $3,000 as a church and we, we just blow it out and just say, God, Christmas is more than gifts. Christmas is your gift. And here's what we're giving towards your kingdom instead of junk. And feeling like I've got to appease him or appease her. Get the guts and say to your family, listen, I would much rather have you invest in something else. Now this year, as a family, we're investing somewhere else. It's a hard discussion, especially with some of our families, right? But isn't the kingdom of God so much more valuable than the kingdom of this world? Martin Luther overturned a system. I pray that Missio Dei Church, that you as individuals and us corporately, that we overturn some of our thinking, that we think rightly about what is at the core. The gospel. And his kingdom come his will be done. We're going to pray.
Martin Luther said that when Jesus called for repentance, he asked for the whole life. Before we come to communion, some of us need to repent. I'm sorry. All of us need to repent. Some of you aren't perfect. All of you are imperfect. We're going to repent. Lead us in prayer. After prayer, the communion servers are going to come up. When your heart is ready, you're invited to come up participate in communion. During that time also, our benevolence is open for those who are in need. It's just another way of showing mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all. because of your your shedding the blood your perfect life you absorbing the father's wrath and extreme displeasure because of that we are sons and daughters of the great king We are brothers and sisters in Christ who are called to be servants and missionaries in this world. God, so much of our lives is not lined up with that. We forget the gospel. We forget you. We get caught up in in me, me, me we forget about your kingdom which is not of this world but yet is planted in the middle of us God I pray pray that you hear our prayers you know our mind you know our actions you know our thoughts you know our sins of commission and omission but God we also we also remember how verse 4 starts out, but God, who is rich in mercy, loved us. God, I pray that as we remember your mercy, as we remember your love, we know that you continue to forgive us and change us. Lord, I pray that our hearts be right come to you at the table. I pray this in the name of Jesus.